Hey, I got a, I got a delivery here. Delivery of uh, building materials reclaimed from the Dragon Castle. Who's going to sign for these? Uh, right over here, right over here. Yeah? Okay, great. I got a... Uh, Alright, I've got two farmers. I've got the East Wind. And I've got... The entire season of winter. What the heck am I supposed to do with the East Wind? We I, just finished with the winds. I don't know, man. Just sign the papers. Maybe I could put that next to the farmers. But I already put the dragon next to the merchants, and they were not very happy about that. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Dragon's Demise, the podcast about what happens on, around, and behind the tabletop. I'm Greg B., joined today by Jacob. Hello. And we're going to be reviewing Dragon Castle by Simon and Horrible Games. But first, let's talk about what we've been playing. Yeah, so we had a few few games brought to table, and we actually just finished playing Teotihuacan, City of Gods. We did, uh, and we played it right this time. You may yep. have seen us play it on stream where we didn't realize that we did anything wrong, but afterwards, Jacob was looking at the rules, and we realized that when we perform a main action, yeah. which is like, I don't yeah. know, it was like 90% yeah. of that game, yeah, yeah, yeah. we were supposed to be paying Coco. Yeah. We were not. We were uh, not and this pretty dramatically changes the game, so we yep. played another game just mm -hmm. to make sure that, like, you know, we actually were playing it how it was supposed to go. Yeah. And it was actually surprisingly similar. Yeah. Like, yeah. I definitely, it changed up how I valued certain things. For sure. But in terms of general flow of gameplay, in mm -hmm. terms of like final scoring, yeah. the final scoring was still surprisingly high. Yeah, I think yeah, you yeah. were maybe even higher than you were in the previous game. No, I wasn't higher. I was in the 260s, I think, the first oh, game. Okay. I was only in like the 230s. 230s in yeah. this one. But overall, I mean, it, I think it definitely, it made more sense. A lot of like the design of things made more sense yeah, to me. for sure. You know, now that we were playing correctly, which mm -hmm. what a surprise, but yeah, exactly. I mean, the value of Coco just went up because, like, last time we like weren't using it very much for anything, right? And like, there was there were a few things that used it, and it was just like, all right, but I just had a stockpile of Coco at the end of the yeah, game, yeah, it was just huge, but yeah, um, but, but yeah, so if yeah. you if you didn't see the stream, Teotihuacan is a euro where players are controlling workers in the ancient Mesoamerican city of Teotihuacan, city mm -hmm. of gods. And you're attempting to basically earn favor by constructing a giant temple in the center of the city. Yeah. There's other things that you can do. Obviously, it's a euro, so you're gathering resources. You mm -hmm. can research some technologies, which will give you, you know, they make you better at certain actions or yeah. give you additional victory points when you perform certain actions. And there's also a mechanic called the Avenue of the Dead, yep. which is basically, you know, your workers can ascend. Mm -hmm. They're represented by dice rather than meeples, and so they get more powerful, more powerful, more powerful, and then they ascend and earn a space on the Avenue of the Dead. It's all very thematic, but the core of the game really revolves around the temple, building the temple, yeah. acquiring resources to build the temple, mm -hmm. putting decorations on the temple. Like, that's the, yeah. the heart of the game. Pretty much. Ironically, this is a Euro set in Mesoamerica. Yeah. I mean, but uh, like I said, it's got really strong flavor. Yeah. I really like the theme. I think they did a good job. Mm -hmm. I mean, I, I'm hardly an expert, but I think they did a good job of having the mechanics reflect the theme. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. So that was, that's really nice. I appreciate that. Yeah, for sure. I, I really like the way that the game played because like, it, it's not like you can just move your workers anywhere. Mm -hmm. And like the fact that the workers are dice and that they get improvements as you move them around and that kind of stuff until they get to six and then ascend and then you get right back down to one. And it's just, it, it's a nice flow, I think, where it's just like you're, you're building up and then 
you know, when you have that level four, level five worker, mm-hmm. they will get a lot larger benefit mm-hmm. from going to certain spots. But then at, at the same time, they will then ascend and you'll be da- back down to a level one worker. Right. Yeah. There's a very delicate balance there. Mm-hmm. It's interesting because so thinking about the euros that I've played recently, this sort of like worker ascension mechanic is yeah. actually fairly unique. Yeah, um, for sure. There's definitely a lot of mechanics that are familiar. So there's like worker bumping mm-hmm. shows up. That's been a very popular one lately. Jacob, you alluded to it, but you've got the board isn't free to move around. You're yeah, actually yeah. moving clockwise in a set order around the board, yep. which has been uh, really common. I know Crusader, they will be done. Mm-hmm. It's not exactly a Euro, but it features a similar sort of like rondel yeah. of like you can only access these spaces in this order. Mm-hmm. Um, so that's been a popular mechanic. But the worker advancement mechanic, I think, is pretty unique yeah at least among games i've played uh, i like a lot of things about how you get to use the workers in the main action so first like the workers what level they are influences how good the it, you're able to get the action and how many workers can also influence that but then the cost of it is is influenced by how many other colors of dice so other people's workers are on those spaces mm-hmm. so that also, I think, is a really cool mechanic because, like, you have to pay Coco in order to be able to use that. And that also incentivizes just like, it's like, okay, well, getting to this space and using it might be really good for me, but is it worth the Coco? Right. Which also leads to some defensive opportunities. Mm-hmm. You know, if I have, you know, Sam trying to get to a particular space and there's two different workers that could do it, I'm going to be thinking about not just which one's advantageous for me. Mm-hmm. because of you know their relative strength or whatever yep. but also which one i want to leave on a tile that i know my mm-hmm. opponent wants to activate so mm-hmm. um it's very subtle but sort of a player interaction yeah. mechanic there um, oh, for sure. which is in- it's interesting to see a euro moving into those spaces yeah overall i really enjoyed it mm-hmm. uh, you mentioned this is up for what, what was the award the golden geek awards the golden it's geek nominated awards. for i think four of them right including best solo mode yeah which uh, i almost played mm-hmm. but I, it was going to be my first game and i figured that my first game should actually be like a, a proper multiplayer yeah, yeah. game but i am though really excited to try out the solo mode so i'll have mm-hmm. to do that and report back at some point yeah hopefully before the review yeah definitely otherwise i've actually also gotten to a chance to bring age of mythology the board game nice that's like oh that was one of my favorite video games when i was a kid me too it like brought back so many memories especially because a lot of the assets are actually used from the video game oh like the art and stuff so like all the gods oh nice yeah yeah. so yeah. it's like you have them all on the, on certain cards so okay. it's like when i drew one i think i was playing the greeks and so when i drew the card that had zeus on it i was just like well, there is literally like, you know, the cover of the game. Like, yep. that, that I is, mean, like, bam, right there. Yeah, bam. That's cool. And it's just like, yep, okay, got it. This is this is exactly the kind of game that I'd like. Like, is it a 4X? Um, So, 4X is explore. Exploit, expand, Termin- exterminate. Which, I mean, it's a little uh, bit of a stretch to call just like an RTS a 4X, yeah. but in my mind, they're they're pretty adjacent. Yeah. I mean, like you have exploration, you even have an action called exploration. Oh, okay. All right. uh, then you have exploiting. So yeah, you do have exploiting the resources. Mm-hmm. Expanding. Yeah, you're building up your town and that kind of stuff. Sure, with infrastructure. Different yeah. And then exterminate, you are fighting the other players. So yeah. So yeah, there we go. I would Checks say out. so. Yeah. Unlike most of the 4X games that you play, it doesn't have as much of the spatial aspect. Okay. So it, it's really like more tableau building in that way. Oh, okay. Where you've got your main player board 
and that has three areas. You have your like holding area where all of your resources, your units and all that kind of stuff stays. Then uh, to the bottom left of the board, that's like the pretty much just uh, the, the area around where you're from, which is where you can get all the resources and that kind of stuff. So when you explore, you find the spaces there. It's actually a pretty cool mechanic. You like draw from this pile of, of all the different spaces, a number of tiles equal to one plus the number of players. Okay. And then this is during any explore action. So that means that if I play explore, you also get to take one. Hmm. But they have a certain backgrounds that are for the different terrains. So you have fertile, desert, mountain, hills, and forests. Okay. And I think that there, there's a pretty interesting distribution of, of all the different types of resources on there. But you have to take something that you still have room on on your, on your map. So, oh, okay. So it all comes back to your own player board. Exactly. So like if I only had, which I only had one mountain and one desert on my entire board mm-hmm. because I was playing the Greeks and they don't really have much in terms of deserts at least. Sure. They're mostly hills. So like, I could only take one tile of each of those at any point. Mm-hmm. Can you the, replace one that you already have or are you no. like locked in? Oh, shit. You're locked in unless uh, you have some kind of power that lets you destroy that or and this is a pretty cool aspect. When you're attacking someone else, you get to choose which area you're attacking. Your, their holding area, their production area, or their city. Mm. And based on that, you get a different effect. So if you succeed in the attack on their holding area, you get to take up to five resources. Okay. If you succeed on the city, you get to destroy at least one building, depending on what else you, you use in terms of your creatures that yeah. can modify that. If you attack the production area, you get to steal one of their tiles. Oh, whoa. And put it into your own. Okay. So at that point, you know, that, that could free up some space and that kind of thing. But also it's not like all forests have this resource. Right. So it's a mix and like you've got the, the main four resources, same as the video game. Mm-hmm. You, you get to like try to like make as many of those as possible and that kind of stuff. But then you have production. When you produce, you choose either one type of resource or one terrain to produce on. Hmm. So you play produce and then like everybody produces on that terrain or type of resource sure so you know you you i produce in the hills you only have one hill so you only produce in that one spot right so you can look for ways where you're going to get more benefit mm -hmm. out of whatever it is that you do okay or just like you know the greeks had the most hills therefore me getting as many tiles onto the hills as i can would be really good for me because then i would just get the most resources from doing a hills production right all in all, I think it's it's a very interesting game. They they do a good job of capturing a lot of the the types of things that you would do in Age Mythology. Mm-hmm. In terms of like, you know you're going out and you're looking for all these different resource areas, but you also have to protect them because you know the enemy might come and attack attack those. Right. And you know you're building up your city, you're building the walls, you're building your armory, you're building the grain silo, you're building all these different things, the monument things like mm-hmm. that, and those are giving you benefits. And then at the same time, you're still building up your army. And I think one of the coolest aspects of the game is the variable victory points. And the way that that works is that you have four cards in the middle of the table. Mm -hmm. At the beginning of each turn, you can place up to three red victory point cubes. If it's a two-player game, you each place one, three-player, one, two, three, four-player, five-player, six-player. The first, second, and third players get to place those. And the first player token rotates. Okay, sure. But you get to place where the victory points are going to go. So you can place them on the winner of the last battle. So like that, that is the only one that actually gives victory points throughout the game. Mm-hmm. So if there's any victory points on there and there's a battle, whoever wins that gets the victory points. Okay. 
Then you have a largest army at the end of the game. Okay. The person who builds the wonder at the end of the game. Right. Or the person who has the most buildings at the end of the game. Interesting. And because it's like a variable thing, you can actually choose where to go. Like, you know, if, if you're, you know that you're not going to have the largest army, you're just going to keep putting your things on the most buildings or right. building the, uh, the wonder or anything like so that. So does each cube represent a vote and they stay there the whole time? No, each, or cube, is it- each cube is a victory point. So whoever oh. at the end of the game gets that thing gets all those victory points that have built out o- over the entire game. Oh, shit. Yeah. Okay. So, like, let's say you and another player are mm-hmm. also investing pretty heavily in, like, a wonder victory. Yeah. But you get there first. Yeah. You get all of the points that they've yes. invested. Oh, my God. That's yeah. so brutal. Yeah. The game ends in one of two ways. Either immediately when someone builds the wonder. Right. Or after all the victory point cubes that are allocated for that number of players have been placed the okay. round after. I mean, that makes sense yeah if you know you're, you're working towards the wonder you're like you know adding those adding those adding mm-hmm. those and like you have to you have to be in the highest age so you also have the age progression mm-hmm. and i love the age progression because it's, it's actually it's really interesting and well done because first age like you know the archaic age you get four cards to stay in your hand okay. you only get to play three cards per round mm-hmm. but you have the four cards to stay in your hand when you advance an age, five cards. Advance an age, six cards. Advance an age, seven cards. So you just have more options, basically? Yeah. So at the beginning of each round, you place the victory points and then choose how many of the permanent actions you want to guarantee that you have. Like, let's say I definitely want to explore and produce. Okay. All right. Sure, sure. And then I draw from my random deck all the other actions that I, that, that I can do. So if it's four, I keep two, draw another two random ones. And they can be more powerful versions of produce and explore. They can be a cheaper, you know, advance to the next age and things like that. Mm, So the random deck really is just the same types of actions, just more powerful. Okay. The other thing that happens in the game, there's a lot going on. Uh, The last one is the fighting. Right. And fighting is just pretty much uh, someone plays an attack uh, card with a certain number. And that's how many units get to go into this battle. Then everyone makes sure to know what other units the, everyone has because those aren't secret. And then you choose which ones go into battle. Okay. And then after that, you know, you reveal, you show which ones go into battle. And then you have a hand of however many cards you, that are going to battle. Each one has one of the units that you're using. Mm-hmm. And you both play face down which unit is going to go out now. Okay. And then each unit has something that they're good against and like, you know, certain traits. So sure. Like, you know, yeah. The cavalry, infantry, archery, like yeah, triad. With additional stuff, like, you know, things that are good against myth units, flying units, yes. mortals, uh, that kind of stuff. Yeah. So, and then it's like you both reveal and see whether or not there are any bonuses for everybody. And then if there are, you add them and then whatever the power is plus the bonuses, that's how many dice you roll. Whoever rolls the most wins. So there's only one round of combat? No, it, it keeps going. So you are allowed to retreat at the beginning of any round of combat. Okay. But it keeps going until either you retreat, which means that you're taking all of your units back. Right. Or all of your units died. Right. So huh. it's the last one standing, but you have the option to retreat. To retreat. Mm-hmm. That's that's a relatively complicated combat system. I relatively. mean, because like between selecting, you know, how many units you're using, which units they are, when they go out, also the modifiers to their attack. Mm-hmm. Like that's... And to I mean, do that multiple times, that's a lot. Well, I, th- I think a lot of times it just it sounds very complicated, in, but when you're getting into it, like, I mean, especially when people actually do a lot of uh, more attacking, it's you, you get to use quite a few units. Mm-hmm. So you're just trying to get your bases covered. So, right. you know, here's I have a, something that's good against flyers, something that's good against archers. This is good against 
myth units as good as this and that, right? And then it's really just like a 1v1. It's like, I know that, that you have something right, that's really right. good at giant slay. And then you're just trying to figure out, like, it's basically a dance. Like, you're just mm-hmm. trying to bait out whatever you think your opponent's, you know, yeah, exactly. whatever you're good against. That. And since yeah. it's just one-on-one, like, that, that's how it works. And your units don't really get exhausted, so you can keep using the same one if you want oh, to. Oh, okay, that's so, interesting. Yeah. If you were to go to the very end, like, this could be a very long combat. Right. But in my experience, you don't. Right. Because like when it's obvious that you're going to lose, people just retreat. You're just going to retreat. You don't want to lose the, all the things that you invested in. Right. So hmm. you're just going to go back. Interesting. Mm-hmm. Hmm. Well, it sounds cool. I mean, obviously, I love the video game. So yeah, we should definitely uh, play it sometime. Yeah, for sure. Well, there you go. That is what we've been playing. All righty. Now it's time to dive into Dragon Castle. So first, let's talk a little bit about what the game is and how it plays. So the game itself is based around Mahjong tiles, pretty much. Mm -hmm. You have three different types of Mahjong tiles. You have the factions, which are the merchants, the soldiers, and the farmers. Mm -hmm. Then you have the special tiles, which are the four winds, the four seasons, and the three different types of dragons. Right. You take all these and start off the game by building the digital or dragon castle on a board that's provided. Mm -hmm. You can either use the template that is provided for your player count, or you can build your own, which is actually recommended, and they give you some additional designs and other things like that that can be used for different player counts. Once that's built, everyone also gets their own player board. Everyone gets one of these shrine toppers, pretty much, that you have to use. and You deal out one spirit, which gives you an additional ability during gameplay, and one dragon, which gives you an additional scoring condition, yeah. And then you start up the game. In the game, you have four different kinds of actions that you can use, three of them which are used throughout the majority of gameplay. Right. By default, the three actions that are available to you all involve taking a single tile from the top row. Mm -hmm. Uh, So you're obviously working down the castle. Start on row three. Once those tiles are gone, you can access row two and then row one. Yeah. All three of these actions start by taking a tile from the top. Once you've done that, you can either take an identical tile. So if it's from a faction, that means that it has the same number represented on it. If it's a special tile, that means it has exactly the same symbol. Yep. The advantage of taking this second tile is that it can come from just about anywhere. It doesn't have to come from the top row. It can come from row two. It can come from row one. The only stipulation is that it has to be a free tile, which means that the long edges of the tile have at least one accessible. So if you think about, you know, a classic Mahjong board, you've got basically the things on the edges of the board that Mm -hmm. are accessible. The second action that you can do is to take a tile from the top and then take a shrine. So there's shrines in the general pool. Shrines will be used throughout the game in order to basically score additional points. Mm -hmm. Finally, The third type of action you can do that involves taking a tile is to take a tile and then just discard it to gain a victory point. Yep. And then when you take these tiles, you then start building on your own castle. So you have your own player board and you start placing these tiles. When you place them, you have a few things that you've got to look out for. So you're trying to get the same types of tiles. So the tiles from the same faction, tiles from the winds, tiles from the dragons, the seasons to be adjacent to each other. Once you get to at least four tiles that have adjacency, you must consolidate them, which means that you take them and you flip them from the side that shows 
the actual uh, symbols to the blank side. This now means that you can build on top of them. Right. When you consolidate, you can also build shrines. So it's at this point that you can use the shrines that you have in your supply in order to build those on top of some of the tiles that you have just consolidated. This also depends on what type of tile that you have just consolidated. If it's one of the three factions, then you get to build one shrine. If it is one of the seasons or one of the winds, then you get to build two shrines. If it's a dragon, you get to build two shrines and also get a victory point. Also, when you consolidate, based on the number of tiles that you have consolidated, you will get victory points. So if you consolidate just four, you get one victory point. If you consolidate five, you get three, six is five, seven is six, eight is eight. So, you know, the most efficient for victory points is to consolidate a full eight tiles because then each tile is worth one victory point. But obviously doing that is pretty hard to pull off. Yeah, because you are not allowed to have four of those tiles touching at any other time. So you can't choose not to consolidate if you have four of them touching. Right. The other thing about consolidation is that when you're looking at adjacency, height doesn't matter. So yep. if you have a farmer at height three and a farmer at height one, those are still considered adjacent. So yep. you want to be very careful with where you're placing because you don't want to consolidate earlier than you're looking for. But you do also want to grow because the higher your castle, the more points your shrines are going to give. Yeah. Shrines get points based on their, their height. So a one tile shrine gets one, two gets two, three gets three at the end of the game. Additionally, whenever you build a shrine, that stack is complete. You cannot add anything else to it. Right. Now, we did mention that there was a fourth type of action. Yep. This is called summoning the dragon. This is normally inaccessible. This only mm -hmm. becomes available once there is only one row of tiles left in the dragon castle. So row three has been depleted. Row two has been depleted. There's only tiles on row one left. At this point, any player can take a countdown tile from the board and put it in front of them. Those are worth two points at the end of the game. Yep. But more importantly, once that reaches zero, basically the countdown track reaches mm -hmm. zero, the game ends. You finish the current round, and then you're done. You move on to scoring. So the ground floor can really be considered the beginning of the end phase, yep. but it doesn't have to be depleted in order for the game to end. You only have to run out of countdown tiles. And the countdown tiles that you have are the number of players that are playing. So two for two-player game, three four, etc. If you do run out of tiles, but someone else still wants to take that action, there are additional tiles available for them to take, but it still just means that the game is ending. Exactly. And then once the game is over, you move into endgame scoring. So like we said, you have earned victory points throughout the game, either by discarding tiles, by consolidating dragons, or mm -hmm. just by consolidating in general. And then you add to that the points that you're getting from your shrines, as well as any points that you've earned for satisfying the dragon condition of additional endgame scoring. And then whoever has the most wins. Just a note, the dragon and the spirit are both optional and more advanced rules. The base game itself comes with all this, but it recommends for your first game or two to not play with those. Right. We just jumped right in and started playing with them because... It's a pretty straightforward game yeah, concept. It's not extremely difficult, but we also do think that they definitely add to the game. Oh yeah, definitely. Which, I mean, is a perfect segue into talking about how the game feels. I think the spirit and dragon cards are actually one of the like high points Oh, yeah. of the game you know so for spirit actions you're looking at things like once per turn you can consolidate three tiles instead of four tiles but you score the mm -hmm. same amount of points as though you had consolidated four yep when you play shrines you can place one additional shrine so some pretty mm -hmm. powerful effects yeah that also kind of dovetail neatly with 
different strategies. Mm -hmm. So obviously consolidating three at a time, that's the antithesis of consolidating eight at a time. Yeah. yeah. But you're going to be rewarded because, you know, per tile consolidated, you're placing more shrines. You're placing shrines more often. You can maybe try to take advantage of that. And so seeing how the spirits interact with the dragons, there's 10 of each. So, you know, you've got tons of different combinations uh, and each of those is going to make the game pretty not completely unique, obviously, because core mm-hmm, gameplay mm-hmm. isn't going to change, but they add a nice sort of different strategic angle that you have to take. Exactly. And like, you know, the, the good part about them is actually that the dragons are also not game breaking. Yeah. They'll give you a bonus point, but you can't win on just the dragons. Right. And in fact, both times that first you and then me have tried to go hard on a strategy that involved the dragon, we've lost because we've made play mistakes otherwise exactly so the fact that the dragons aren't powerful enough to make up for sloppy gameplay Mm -hmm. but they are enough to sort of give you a boost here or there or guide your play i think is really solid game design yeah i agree i think the fact that this core game can stand on its own Mm -hmm. and then these just add to it i think that that gives it big props right additionally i I just really like the the three-dimensional and the placement aspect of Mm -hmm. all the different tiles i think that it's it's really fun to try to figure out it's like when you're also transitioning from different things like do you want to go and do a strategy that has a lot of shrines but they're pretty low or do you want to do a strategy that has all these tall shrines but you don't have as many and that kind of stuff Hmm. and so you have to like you know decide where to build up how to build up and all that kind of stuff one of the things that i noticed right away is that the special tiles whether it's the dragons the seasons or the winds like they give you more bang for your buck in terms of the shrines because you know you can place two shrines from them versus one from the other factions so these are really good like mid to late game when you're actually placing the shrines so then you can like you know just put them all on top and place two shrines instead of just placing one whenever you do it yeah it's interesting because you know our first game i think we both got sort of taken in yeah because we're like oh special tiles those are really good but you don't want them early yeah. because you don't want them before you've built up a couple layers in your castle mm-hmm, and have something to put them on top of. So some interesting, like maybe a depth yeah. there. Uh, one Literal of the other things, and uh, yeah. <laughs> I do appreciate that the players have a lot of control over mm-hmm. how quickly the game passes, not just the like summoning the dragon and actually triggering the end of the yeah. game, but throughout the game, you know, the opportunity to go for a long-term play and take either points for discarding tiles or shrines in particular. It's like a Mm -hmm. a really solid like investment play or to just take two tiles every turn, two tiles, two tiles, two tiles and rush towards the end of the game is I think a pretty important strategic divide Mm -hmm. that's going to shape a lot of how people approach the game. Do you want to take it slow? Do you want to rush? That's Mm -hmm. a big like pivot point, I think. Yeah. I think also along with that, I, I really like that the guidelines for building, for example, the castle they give like different numbers of tiles that you should be using on the bottom row because you still use all the tiles. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the bottom layer should be only this many tiles when you're playing with three or four because that means like you have more up top. Right. And so this really changes a little bit of the balance of the game of like how quickly you're getting through them and all that kind of stuff. And I think that that's really important for this game because if you use a two-player board for a four-player game, you would be done way too quickly. Yeah, no, the the guidelines for like how they recommend that you build a, a dragon mm-hmm. castle for a variable player count is the they're really, really solid uh, mm-hmm. and I think, you know, really well advised. For sure. 
All that said, no game is perfect. A couple quibbles with this one I set up. <laughs> you yeah. know, you have to build the dragon castle every time from the ground up. It just, I mean, it's very tedious. You know, there's over 100 tiles. So, you know, even if you're building the most straightforward castle ever, like it's just, you've got to place so many of them yeah. uh, that it, you know, that it can take a little while. Not enough to put me off the game, just mildly annoying. Additionally, as much as I love the spatial aspect of the game, you can build yourself into a corner. You can yeah. build yourself into an area, especially if you're new to the game. I know I did this in my first game. I know Greg also did, did this a bit in, in his second game. It's easy to like overestimate what you can get or just place one block in the wrong place. And then because of the fact that you can't build on top of revealed things, there is a possibility that you can have something that can not be completed mm -hmm. or like that, you know, someone steals the last two blocks of that type that are accessible even remotely soon and you're screwed. Right. So you can definitely build yourself into a corner or like spend like five or six turns trying to get yourself out of that yeah. corner. And that can be very frustrating and, and can really lead to just not having fun in the game. Right, yeah, because you're, you're doing damage control at yeah. that point, basically. Exactly. You're doing damage control, you're not getting the points that you want, and your strategy has been ruined. Right. The other thing I think that, that sort of can be frustrating about the game is that the end almost happens too fast. Yeah. So once the summon dragon action becomes available, especially for the first player, but really for any player, mm -hmm. you have to treat every turn as though it could be your last. Yeah. Um, because, you know, it is just one countdown token per player means that those can disappear in a single round. Yeah. If you're not treating every action as though it will be your last at a point that is, I mean, especially in a two-player game, less than halfway through the game, yep. you're going to lose out on points. You're going to feel dissatisfied with the fact that you weren't able to finish your your strategy. So I think that puts a little bit of like negative pressure on players mm -hmm. at the end of the game. That phase can happen sooner than you think. And also the end itself can come way sooner than you think. So maybe a bit of a, like a negative game element there. But. Yep. All that being said, let's go ahead and give this game a rating. So for those of you who are new, our rating system is on a scale from skip it to play it to buy it. We also have our top shelf games, which are the ones that we love the most, and the burn it games, which are the ones that we don't think should have ever existed. <laughs> uh, uh, thankfully, a rare distinction. Well, I don't think we have a single one yet. Very rare. Yep. So, Greg, what are your thoughts? I like Dragon Castle. I think it's a solidly designed game. I have, you know, like we said, a few quibbles, but overall, I think it's a play it. It's not going to be my favorite game ever, but yeah. it's also, you know, I, I have fun playing it. It's It's got some interesting spatial elements. I grew up playing Mahjong on like PopCap games on yep, MSN yep. or whatever the hell. And so to take that and sort of jump from there into like, oh, but there's also this, you know, competitive element and there's also this building element. Like, mm -hmm. I think it's, you know, it's nice. It's almost nostalgic yeah. in a way. So I, I enjoy it for that reason. I do want to give a quick mention, though, if you buy it, Horrible Games has ironically fantastic customer service. Yes, we, for sure. I think we've mentioned before that you had an issue with the tiles. Mm -hmm. They sent us like too many farmers and didn't send you any dragons, dragons or think, yeah. something to that effect. But you got in touch with them and they basically said like, oh yeah, absolutely. And sent over an entire new bag of just like the set of tiles. So yep. if you do buy the game, Horrible Games does a great job with customer service so you can rest assured uh, yeah. there. But my rating is a play it. Yep. I'm going to echo that. I also think it's a play it for me. I do enjoy the game. I think that the spatial aspects are really fun. It's definitely a game that 
can capture a lot of the like I guess nostalgia from the mahjong on like the the computer on Windows and all that kind of stuff, which I really do enjoy playing. But I love the fact that it adds that additional building aspect to it. It really gives it a purpose almost. Mm-hmm. So I really enjoy that. The pieces are really well done. The tiles themselves are nice. They're heavy. They're not like you know cardboard or anything like that. They're actually like you know pretty nice mahjong tiles. And so overall. I do enjoy playing the game, so I definitely recommend you play it. Well, there we go. Solid play rating for Dragon Castle. Uh, before we go, as always, we're going to give you a couple of games that we feel are similar. If you like them, you'll probably like this and vice versa. The first is Potion Explosion. Mm-hmm. Very similar concepts in terms of looking to take elements from a communal board that have depth of meaning. Mm-hmm. You know, you can be looking to take, in the case of Dragon Castle, a tile, or in the case of Potion Explosion, a marble that is short-term benefit for you, long-term benefit for you. You can do it specifically to screw over the person who's coming after you. There's lots of similar elements in terms of how you're approaching the board and the levels that you sort of have to think on in order to be successful. Obviously, different theme, plenty of different elements as well. Potion Explosion sort of adds an additional layer Mm -hmm. in the form of crafting and then using the potions as opposed to simply building the castle. But overall, in my mind, very similar games. If you like Dragon Castle, I would highly recommend checking out Potion Explosion. Yeah, I agree. And then the second one I'm going to mention is Viceroy. So if you take the pyramid and instead of building up from the ground floor up, you're building like into the center of the table with all the cards. It also has a very similar aspect. You have the center of the table where you have the different things that are available and then you're trying to compete to almost get them. And then when you do, like you have to place them in certain places and some things can lock out other things. And there's a huge like just placement mechanic. And you can also go for, you know, do you want it to be really wide? Do you want it to build it up tall and uh, other things like that? So I think that there are a decent number of similar placement mechanics as well as like benefits for placing in different ways and the different play styles that you can do. And that being said, Viceroy is definitely a more complex game. Oh, yeah. Uh, there's just a lot more going on. Each of the cards has like, you know, three or four different things that happen whenever you place it or that you can use whenever something happens. So that is definitely a more complex game. But if you like that type of thing, I'd highly recommend it. A uh, quick game for a quick third yep. recommendation. Pyramid's Deadline. Yep. Again, horizontal plane instead of vertical, but very similar, particularly on the time pressures. Yes. End of the game can happen very quickly. You can end up with zero points uh, because you didn't finish your pyramid in time. So if you like the sort of competitive building element almost, Pyramid's Deadline, super tiny, super easy to pick up and play. So if you want to take Dragon Castle with you on the go, check out Pyramid's Deadline instead. And there you have it. That's our review of Dragon Castle. Thank you for joining us on this episode of Dragon's Demise. We hope that you enjoyed it. WashingCon tickets are on sale today, so for anyone in the D.C. area or close enough to come, you should definitely check it out. It is going to be on September 7th and 8th at the Georgetown Hotel and Convention Center. There's going to be metro access for anyone who is in the D.C. area using the metro. Be sure to get your tickets quickly because there is a special $40 price for the tickets for the first seven days only before the prices go up later on. So April 1st through April 8th, you will be able to get the tickets for $40, the special promotional price, for the first week. After that, they'll be going up. 
We really loved going there for the past few years, so definitely check it out, and you'll see us there. We'll be doing some fun podcasting as well as playing games with people, giving away t-shirts, all that kind of stuff. It's going to be a lot of fun. We have tournaments, we have RPGs, we have panels. There's going to be a lot of really cool things, as well as our friend Elizabeth Hargrave being the featured guest designer this year. So if you heard about Wingspan and you have seen our review, definitely come on over to WashingtonCon and meet her. Last year she was testing out Wingspan at WashingtonCon. Maybe this year she'll be testing out the next great game that's going to be coming out soon. As always, I'd like to say a huge thank you to our Patreon patrons. So thank you all for supporting us and for helping keeping us up and running. We really, really do appreciate all that you do, and you know, every dollar helps. Thank you so much. So uh, let's go ahead and say thank you to our Greater Worm patrons. So that is, as always, Sam, Meg, Carissa, Hunter, and Casey. Thank you all so much for your support. We really, really do appreciate it. We'd also love to thank our Twitch subscribers, both new and old. So first off, thank you to our two new Twitch subscribers, the Mario Sanchez and Go Kid. Thank you so much for your tier one subs. We really, really do appreciate it. As well as our perennial favorite, Adam Krasberg. Thank you so much for your resub this week. It is awesome. We really couldn't do all this without you. And finally, please join us for another episode of Dragons Demise next week, where we talk to David Abelson, who is one of the designers of Garden Bow, now on Kickstarter.